study through the book of Second Chronicles. Uh, so if you uh, would, please turn with me to Second Chronicles, and we're in chapter 32. Chapter 32. Uh, just a quick reminder as you're flipping to Second um, Chronicles 32, that uh, for all you men, make a note, this Saturday is the men's prayer breakfast, and so we'll be here at 7 a.m. and join, of course, some food, fellowship, worship, a devotion, and then some time in prayer. And uh, so I would encourage all of you to come uh, and bring someone. Uh, it, it's a wonderful time to uh, bring someone to expose them to the fellowship here. And perhaps for a neighbor, a friend, co-worker, family member uh, to get to know some of the men and, and uh, perhaps even encouraging them to come on Sunday and check us out. Um, just so that they would benefit from the same things that you benefit from. And that is the fellowship of the saints as we encourage each other and lift um, those things that are a concern um, for us and also those things that we would like to see God move in, and uh, in including perhaps someone that you know. So that's why I encourage you to bring someone. Uh, <clears throat> and again, that's this Saturday, uh, men, uh, prayer breakfast at 7 a.m., so 2 Chronicles chapter 32 is where we're at this evening. I want to begin, as I often do, with um, just a, a question. Have you ever thought that your good behavior would lead to a good life? Good behavior, good life, you know. Because many people do believe this, even if they, they don't say it outright. A lot of people do believe this. Another way of putting it, as the world puts it, is just in one word that the world is very familiar with, and that is karma. You guys are familiar with karma, right? People say it all the time. You know, when someone gets what's coming to them, they say instant karma, Right? They got it. But the opposite is also true. And many people believe that, hey, listen, I do good. Therefore, I believe I, I deserve to get what's coming to me also, right? Something good. And what I mean by a good life is a life without significant difficulties, kind of like smooth sailing, right? You won't really have serious enemies. God will provide an abundance of everything for you, perhaps even showering you with favor and provide you with what you would consider an easy life. Comfort, pleasure, health, wealth, etc. That's why, by the way, the prosperity gospel is no gospel at all because it's not true biblically to the word of God. People expect this, whether you say it or you do not. People tend to expect it, even within the church. Because when bad things begin to happen to, quote unquote, good people, then, oh, we begin to question God. 
and even doubt his existence or ability to give us the good life we believe that we deserve. It shows in our attitude. It shows in the manner in which we conduct ourselves. All of a sudden, our consistency isn't there. We pull back. And even though we may not speak it, we wonder, we doubt. Why? Two words, three words. God is sovereign. God is sovereign. We begin to ask, though, why is there suffering? Why do we have to experience trouble and conflict and tribulation? Why does it have to happen to everyone? You know, I thought about these things as I was thinking about Hezekiah. Up to this point, Hezekiah has been doing everything right. Everything. He's been doing so much for the southern kingdom, Judah. In fact... It says in chapter 29, verse 1, that Hezekiah has been doing everything that's right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that David, his father, had done. Wow! To even be mentioned along the same lines as King David, the man after God's own heart. Hezekiah. This is how he was described from the very beginning. So this is what I want to draw your attention to, the fact that Hezekiah, in the eyes of the world, you could say he was a good man. He was a man that if anyone would be favored, it would be him. He was a man that if the Lord was going to put his hand of protection over him and not let anything happen to him, it would be Hezekiah. But we got to pay attention so what happens here? Because there are some things as we, as we learn along the way that are essential to how we conduct ourselves as children of God. It's important that we mature. That when we do experience tribulation, when we do experience trials and conflict, how we respond to those things matters. Because we are supposed to at some point reach maturity. Another word that is used in the Bible is perfection. But perfection in the sense to where there's strength, there's maturity, there's consistency. Nothing moves you. When we draw closer to the Lord, we realize that that was the very thing that separated Jesus from everyone else. He did it perfectly, of course, as as he set his eyes on Calvary. And no matter what he was confronted with, he continued to advance toward fulfilling the plan of the Father. I pray that we would be those people as well. So we need to pay attention to, as we go into this chapter What takes place after all these acts of faithfulness were performed by Hezekiah. And learn more about God 
and the fallen world in which we live in and consider God's grace and his plan of salvation for us. That he had not only prophesied, but he had planned from the very, from the beginning of, before the foundation of the world, and he fulfilled, and now we get to enjoy. We need to consider all of those things as we go through and we study God's word. Father, we ask, Lord, that you would bless this time of study. We ask, Lord, that you would give us understanding, that you would teach us. Lord, that we would not go away just with more information, but that this would be a, a time in which we subject ourselves to you in your transforming work. That you would sanctify us. That we would more closely resemble our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we, in a very, very real sense, are sitting at your feet, desiring to hear from you. Lord, that we would that we would bless you, giving you our undivided, complete attention. Speak to us, I pray, I ask you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Second Chronicles chapter 32, verse 1. It says, after these things and these acts of faithfulness, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah and encamped against the fortified cities, thinking to win them for himself. Stop there. After that introduction in that first verse that we read, in fact, from the very beginning, those first few words that we read, after these things and these acts of faithfulness, and then Sennacherib, the next name, is the name of the enemy of Judah and King Hezekiah. Aren't people who are faithful to God immune from attacks from the enemy? And we all laugh, right? Because we know better. Because at the moment that Hezekiah completes all that would be pleasing to the Lord, oh, it was all so pleasing. You would think that it'd be odd for an enemy to attack or be allowed to attack. The question is, if we don't expect the enemy to attack, or we question why it is that God allowed an enemy to attack then perhaps it's because we don't really know God. We don't know how it is that he works. We're not recognizing or acknowledging those verses in the Bible that forewarns us, preparing us for these attacks. So do you, one, number one, do you really know God? Number two, do you really know the enemy? How well do you know him? God could have allowed the enemy to come while Hezekiah was restoring the temple, restoring temple worship, preparing the priests and the Levites and purifying all the vessels that were used, the instruments for worshiping God. But he didn't. He did allow the attack to take place 
after all of it was completed. Turn with me to Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 4. So you have Second Chronicles, then you have Ezra, then you have Nehemiah. So Nehemiah chapter 4. Because I want to make sure that we understand this is consistent throughout Scripture. It's, it's consistent. So that for us, we do not lose heart when the enemy does attack. Because he is allowed to attack. But it's to refine us. It's to prepare us. It's to make sure that we understand how it is that the enemy works. And we believe God at his word when he says, be prepared. Be sober-minded. The enemy prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Because too many of us have let our guard down and don't realize until the enemy is put away for all eternity into the lake of fire and the thousand-year reign, this is what's going to be taking place. I want to make sure that we see the consistency throughout Scripture. Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 1 says, Now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged, and he jeered at the Jews, and he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was beside him, and he said, Yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break, it, break down their stone wall. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight, for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. Let's go to chapter 6 and verse 1. Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, Although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, Come, and let us meet together at uh, Hakephirim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm, and I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work, I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. In the same way, Sanballat for the fifth time sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. In it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem, there is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. Then I sent to him saying, no such things as you say have been done. For you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. 
Nehemiah 4, 1 through 6. Test passed. Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. Tested passed. Nehemiah was confronted while doing the work, after having built the wall, confronted. Jesus spoke to his disciples and had this to say to them in John chapter 16, verse 33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Interesting. This is spoken to them just prior to the next sentence that he spoke to them. He gave them a warning, but he said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. Take courage, child of God. Do not be dismayed. Because in Christ we have overcome the world. And in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Peter knew very well what it meant to blunder and fall short in times of temptation. And he said this, he writes, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour Oh, how well do you know God? And how well do you know your enemy? It's important. Don't let your guard down. Ever. Pay attention. Be discerning. Be disciplined in your thoughts. If we know God's faithfulness, if we know Satan's relentless attacks, We know the power of God and his love and his desires for us. And we know the destructive, undermining, divisive works of Satan. Then even when faced with attacks, we would know immediately the the purpose of those attacks. We must maintain focus. And in that moment, choose to do what is right. In the moment. It's too late afterwards. If we haven't made the choice, then it's too late afterwards. We must choose to do what is right in the eyes of the Lord in that moment. But we must know. What is the right choice? How should I respond in the moment? In fact, speaking of trials, James was very clear in James 1, 2 through 4. As he writes, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. No matter what you're going through. You're not lacking anything. God has supplied you with everything that is necessary to go through and stand fast And even persevere through those circumstances, no matter what circumstance you're going through. 
And so what is important is how Hezekiah responded to the attack of Sennacherib, king of Assyria. Did he perhaps freeze with fear, being paralyzed? Did he get angry and blame God? Or did he act with confidence in his God, mobilizing in a manner that reflected a confidence that God was with him? Verse 2. And when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and intended to fight against Jerusalem, he planned with his officers and his mighty men to stop the water of the springs that were outside the city. And they helped him. A great many people were gathered, and they stopped all the springs and the brook that flowed through the land, saying, Why should the kings of Assyria come and find much water? He set to work resolutely and built up all the wall that was broken down and raised towers upon it. And outside it, he built another wall and he strengthened the Milo in the city of David. He also made weapons and shields in abundance. And he set combat commanders over the people and gathered them together to him in the square at the gate of the city and spoke encouragingly to them saying, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or dismayed before the king of Assyria and all the horde that is with him. For there are more with us than with him. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to, and to fight our battles. And the people took confidence from the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. Now you see, as we learn there, as we read there, Hezekiah had discernment. When Hezekiah learned that Zennacherib invaded Judah and encamped, against the fortified cities. Hezekiah knew that Sennacherib's plan was to strangle the city, stopping all incoming food. And he knew to besiege a city is to make sure that it is also, and most importantly, if they can stop the flow of water, to stop the flow of water, if they can stop the flow of water, Oh, it's just, it's a matter of a few days and that's it. This would cause a weakening in the people and forcing them to either surrender or fight back immediately. Being in a, in a state of distress and desperation. For, to fight from a position of weakness. Oh, they have the upper hand. Hezekiah was discerning. He understood what was coming. And Hezekiah planned and enlisted able men that knew how to dam the water from the springs. There was a spring, and then it, it we'll learn in a few moments exactly where it goes. It, where it went to then, it was redirected, and where it goes to today, even today. So he enlisted these men. To reroute the water through the walled-in city of Jerusalem, giving the people basically an unlimited supply of water that the enemy was not privy to, was inaccessible. We see that he enlisted some officers and mighty men to stop the water, but would gather together as a great many people, a great many people who worked together to stop and reroute the water, people who also understood why they were doing the work they were doing. 
to keep the water from being used by the enemy and available to the Israelites. Hezekiah, the king of Judah, the leader here, was described as working resolutely. You know, there are many things that perhaps we give ourselves to. And no matter if we're tired, aren't feeling well, or just find ourselves just falling short physically, like we, we just can't, it doesn't matter. We give ourselves to certain things, and we are resolute about following through and completing whatever it is, the work that we have before us. In other words, we'll sacrifice. Nothing will stop us. Well, Hezekiah was described as working resolutely. That is with determination, with purpose, with focus, being single-minded. There's nothing that was going to stop him from completing the work of fortifying the city. Denying the enemy any access to water and securing it for the people of the southern kingdom. There's nothing that was going to stop him. Well, this was something that influenced the people. They were willing to come together. They understood exactly why it was that they were doing what they were doing. And they worked and they did it. They accomplished it. Meanwhile, Hezekiah also worked to provide weaponry, defensive equipment, and assign the proper leadership to oversee the combat units. Were they not relying on God in this moment? Why were they doing all of this? Because Jerusalem, Israel, was worth protecting this is the land that God had given his people. And they were to defend it against enemies. It wasn't because they were lacking in faith. It was because they were acting on the faith that they had in God. And they knew what they were entrusted with. Well... Once everything was completed, Hezekiah brought them all together and encouraged them by reminding them that the enemy is no match for the God of Israel. Verses 7 and 8, again, as we read, he says this to the, the leaders that were set over the, the combat units. He said this, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or dismayed before the king of Assyria and all the horde that is with him. For there are more with us than with him. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. That was it. He didn't have to say anything more. I love that. That's a reminder. And, and then it says, and the people took confidence from the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. They were encouraged. They took confidence. Isaiah 54, 16 and 17 says, Behold, I have created the smith who blows the fire of coals and produces a weapon for its purpose. I have also created the ravager to destroy. No weapon that is fashioned against you shall succeed. And you shall refute every tongue that rises against you in judgment. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their vindication for me declares the Lord. 
He is our God, the Lord, our God. We know that he is consistent through Scripture. In fact, we can take a look at the New Testament and know this to be true. That no weapon that is fashioned against you shall prevail. We are secure in the hands of our Lord. He's able to bring us securely right into his presence, into glory. God equips us with everything necessary to do as well, according to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 21. Ephesians chapter 6 speaks very clearly, as we know the section of Scripture that pertains to the armor of God, saying that He, he equips us with the, this armor of His to stand against the schemes of the devil, taking up the whole armor of God that we may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. And along with this armor, God gives us the offensive weapon. He gives us an offensive weapon. You know what that is? It's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And by it, we are equipped for every good work, according to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 17. That's why we ought to know how to, how to wield it, how to use it in such a way that it accomplishes the work that God has sent forth for it to accomplish. Our Lord and King has given us marching orders. For you and I today, in a very similar way, the manner in which Hezekiah was equipping and planning and organizing everyone in a similar way, our King, our Lord, has given us marching orders to equip others for the work of the ministry according to Ephesians, to entrust a faithful man the gospel that they may teach others also, according to 2 Timothy 2.2, and so fulfill the great commission to make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that Jesus had commanded his disciples, according to Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, the great commission. And so with the very word of God, Hezekiah encouraged the men to be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or dismayed before your foe. They are no match for the Lord our God who helps us and even fights for us. And so Hezekiah addressed the men of combat and encouraged them. But with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people took confidence from the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. And so my brothers and sisters, take courage with the very same words that God shares and gives to us. These are his words. Verse 9 says, After this, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, who was besieging Lachish with all his foes, sent his servants to Jerusalem to Hezekiah, the king of Judah, and to all the people of Judah who were in Jerusalem, saying, Thus says Sennacherib, king of Assyria, on what are you trusting that you endure, endure the siege in Jerusalem? Is not Hezekiah misleading you? 
that he may give you over to die by famine and by thirst, when he tells you the Lord our God will deliver us from the hand of the king of Assyria? Has not this same Hezekiah taken away his high places and his altars and commanded Judah and Jerusalem, before one altar you shall worship, and on it you shall burn your sacrifices? Do you not know what I and my fathers have done to all the peoples of other lands? Were the gods of the nations of those lands at all able to deliver their lands out of my hand? Who among all the gods of those nations that my fathers devoted to destruction was able to deliver his people from my hand? That your God should be able to deliver you from my hand. Now, therefore, do not let Hezekiah deceive you or mislead you in this fashion. And do not believe him. For no God of any nation or kingdom has been able to deliver his people from my hand or from the hand of my fathers. How much less will your God deliver you out of my hand? <laughs> yeah, wow, right? Listen, um, the enemy didn't care. He didn't care that Hezekiah was relying on the Lord his God. He didn't care that he was doing things to demonstrate his faith in God. And, and he didn't care that he was encouraging others in the Lord, worshiping God, stopping idolatry. The enemy didn't care about any of those things. Instead, he sent forces to Jerusalem and to Hezekiah. But notice who it was that he addressed specifically or especially. He sent them to, yes, King Hezekiah, but he spoke to the people, did he not? Very clear. As we read verses 10 through 15, he was addressing the people. Listen, Lachish was where they were. It's not far from Jerusalem. It's only located about 30 miles southwest of Jerusalem, not far from Jerusalem. In fact, there's an archaeological Discovery of the remains of about 1,500 people who were attributed to Sennacherib's attack. This very time in history that we're looking at. Evidence in Lachish. A dig that discovered about 1,500 people from this time. And this was a fortress city of Judah, that is Lachish, a fortified city that had fallen to Assyria, so close. And you know the people in Jerusalem knew exactly what had happened to Lachish. And here they come. They're coming to Jerusalem. What do you think the people were thinking? I say from here... Would you say Anaheim is just maybe 30 miles down the road? Oh, there's uh, Anaheim has fallen to the enemy. Riverside is next. They're coming. A formidable foe. What do you think they were thinking? Well, they all assemble. They all organize. They... We're all encouraged by Hezekiah. And then these words were spoken to them. What was the intention of these words? 
from Sennacherib, well, it was intended to make them lose their trust in the Lord their God and lose trust in their leader that God had appointed over them. To lose trust. What are you trusting in that has caused you not to surrender yet is what he asked him. Well, what is it? What are you trusting in? Because what he is saying by that, he's implying this to the people right from the get-go. By now, you should have surrendered. There's nothing that you, that you have put your trust in that will be able to stand against the power and the strength that I, Sennacherib, will pour out upon you. You should have surrendered by now. What are you trusting in? He said... Hey, listen, your, your leader, Hezekiah, he's misleading you. By making you think that the Lord your God will deliver you from your enemy's hand? Listen, your path to die by famine and thirst is un- unavoidable. And certain. Well, what is this attacking? It's attacking the heart and the mind of God's people. There was no physical attack at this point. Go on telling them, your leader is narrow-minded. Forcing you to worship God in, in only one way? Oh, if they were even to think about that, oh, it was in God's prescribed way. The, the other things that we were doing were not according to what the Lord had prescribed for us to worship Him. In that manner. But again, he was attempting to strike fear in the heart of the people. He said, Consider that no other gods have been able to deliver other people out from under Assyria's hand. It's been heavy. All have been devoted to destruction. And you're no different. We're just 30 miles away. And we're coming to get you. Listen. You got you to gotta do what's, what's best in your own interest. You got to do what's best for you. Don't let your leader Hezekiah mislead you. Don't believe him and don't believe your God that he will deliver you because he cannot. Stand up for yourself. You don't have to follow anyone. Save yourself before it's too late. We're just 30 miles away and we're coming for you. Hey, listen, it's the same old tactics the enemy uses today on God's people. Say. Same old tactics, same thing, same schemes, same plans. So I, we fast forward to the New Testament in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. The Apostle Paul writes, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, 
being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, if we only knew Scripture, if we understood how these were these attacks that were for our minds and our thoughts, and we should take those thoughts captive and submit them or yield them to the authority of God's Word. We would also realize Hebrews 13, 17, just as it was in the days of Hezekiah, so it is today, and even more so. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. As those who will have to give an account, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. You see, even today, I understand that there are some leaders who do it to themselves. But there are many other leaders within the church that are not. And yet... They are not regarded. They're just, they're just another bro. Another person that you can dismiss at will. And I'm not saying that all pastors are something to be honored and uplifted as anything other than a person that has been positioned there for the purpose of leading and overseeing and guarding and teaching and discipling the flock, the people of God. But I see it. I see that there's dismissal of all of that. You see, the pendulum has swung too far over. We need to be discerning. We need to understand the whole counsel of God's word. The attack is on the mind. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We're not anxious. Pray and supplication. Oh, we're thankful. Why? We're thankful because we know ahead of time in that moment to where we lay everything before the Lord. Oh, he's faithful. His word is true. And in knowing that and acknowledging that begins to, to guard our hearts. Our hearts are deceitful and wicked. Who can know them? Who can understand them? Our minds, well, we're just reminded again in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 to make sure that we take our thoughts captive. You see, the mind is always under attack by the enemy. And if he can mess you up there in your mind, then the whole of you will fall and you will cause others to fall as well. You think you won't influence others? You will. You will. Fear is contagious. The enemy knows this. Faith and courage are also contagious. The enemy knows this also and does everything he can to destroy it, even if he does it one by one by one by one. He'll do it. This is why the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, again, consistent with Scripture. You can go to Joshua chapter 1. 
We can go back to how it was that the Lord spoke to Moses. The, Moses passed that along to Joshua. Joshua spoke it to all the people, and the people echoed that back to Joshua. Because Paul made sure that Timothy knew this. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. You see, Satan is the enemy of your soul. He is the enemy of God. And he is relentless. Please do not expect him to let up. Do not expect him to let up. Verse 16 says, And his servant said still more against the Lord, the Lord God, and against his servant Hezekiah. And he wrote letters to cast contempt on the Lord, the God of Israel, and to speak against him, saying, Like the gods of the nations of the lands who have not delivered their people from my hand, so the God of Hezekiah will not deliver his people from my hand. And they shouted it with a loud voice in the language of Judah to the people of Jerusalem who were on the wall to frighten and terrify them in order that they might take the city. And they spoke of the God of Jerusalem as they spoke of the gods of the peoples of the earth, which are the work of men's hands. No. They wrote letters speaking against God, speaking against Hezekiah. They shouted to strike fear in the hearts of the people, in their language, making sure you understood very clearly. Why? To terrify them. Why? So that they could take the city. It was very clear, so that they could take it. Stand up. Don't waver. Withstand. Stand firm against the enemy with the weapons of spiritual warfare that God has given you. The armor of God, including the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times. Sword of the Spirit, God's Word. Prayer, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Ephesians 6, 17 and 18. Oh, these are the weapons that are disposal. The Word of God and prayer. So take the word of God. This is what the people of the southern kingdom were encouraged to do. Hey, listen, Hezekiah was encouraging them with the word of God, with what was true. And then go pray. Take the word of God, go pray. Verse 20. Then Hezekiah the king and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, prayed because of this and cried to heaven. And the Lord sent an angel who cut off all the mighty warriors and commanders and officers in the camp of the king of Assyria. So he returned with shame of face to his own land. And when he came into the house of his God, some of his own sons struck him down there with the sword. So the Lord saved Hezekiah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib, king of Assyria, and from the hand of all his enemies. And he provided for them on every side. And many brought gifts to the Lord to Jerusalem and precious things to Hezekiah, king of Judah, so that he was exalted in the sight of all nations from that time onward. Let's also go to 2 Kings chapter 19. 2 Kings chapter 19 and verse 14. This gives us a reminder of Hezekiah's prayer. Actually, 
what he and Isaiah were given to as far as prayer is concerned. Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations and their lands, and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they were destroyed. So now, O Lord our God, save us, please, from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone." Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, your prayer to me about Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard. This is the word that the Lord has spoken concerning him. And he goes on and he gives him the word that the Lord had spoken concerning him. Verse 32, therefore thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into the city or shoot an arrow there or come before it with a shield or cast up a siege mound against it. By the way that he came, by the same he shall return and he shall not come into the city, declares the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. And that night the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of Assyrians, the Assyrians. And when people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went home and lived at Nineveh. And as he was worshiping in the house of Nisroch, his god, Adramelech and Sherezer, his son, struck him down with a sword and escaped into the land of Ararat. And Azaradon, his son, reigned in his place. For additional comments on this whole event, you can also refer back to what was already taught in 2 Kings chapter 19. And so those are all archived on our website, and I I know that they are also archived in several other areas, such as YouTube and podcasts and things like that. So, But just details. This was his prayer. These two men, Hezekiah and Isaiah, had a zeal for their Lord, but God had a zeal for him. This zeal for him, this love for the Lord their God drove them to their knees. Humbly pleading that God would show himself or his power, demonstrating that he alone is God. That no one is above him. They weren't asking for anything other than, God, show yourself. They cried to heaven and the Lord sent an angel. Singular. <laughs> Just one angel. I, love, I don't know if you noticed that, but he sent an angel. And this angel dealt an amazing did an amazing work, a fatal blow 
some mighty warriors, commanders, officers in all the camp of the enemy killing 185,000 men in one night. Well, of course, this sent Zennacherib running home with his tail tucked in between his legs only to be put to death by his sons while he was worshiping his false god, Nisroch, who apparently could, could not save him. Matthew Poole said this, quote, God spared Sennacherib not in mercy, but in wrath, reserving to him a more dreadful and shameful death by the hands of his own children and while worshiping his false god who had no power to give him anything. By the way, this happened 20 years after he returned. Perhaps in those 20 years, he thought, well, I escaped. I came back. I, I escaped any judgment. He didn't, not at all. As, as we read this, 185,000 of the enemies of God struck down in one night. God doesn't always intervene in this manner, but when he does, he makes the world stand at attention and acknowledge that he alone is God. And he'll do it again and again and again. One day, the world will see as his people are snatched up and were caught up in the air with him. Oh, they'll see other things also as has been laid out in Scripture. It is yet to be fulfilled, but it will be fulfilled. And the world will stand at attention. And one day we know that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. One day that will happen. Well, with all of this, God was exalted and Hezekiah was respected and honored. No one at this point, we understood as we read, no one wanted to be his enemy. They knew peace on all sides. Interesting, peace through strength. Sounds familiar going back to one of my favorite presidents, President Reagan, said we ought to lead by strength. In fact, the, our military was, was strengthened and built up during the time that he was, he was president. Strength, peace through strength. Well, Hezekiah knew this all too well. Not his strength. It's through the strength of God. How he revealed it. How he demonstrated it. The nations knew this. They brought gifts to the Lord. And brought gifts to Hezekiah. Verse 24. In those days Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And he prayed to the Lord and he answered him and gave him a sign. But Hezekiah did not make return according to the benefit done to him, for his heart was proud. Therefore, wrath came upon him in Judah and Jerusalem. But Hezekiah humbled himself for the pride of his heart, both he and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that the wrath of the Lord did not come upon them in the days of Hezekiah. Now, listen, the, the details of this event were recorded, and we went over this, 2 Kings chapter 20, also recorded in Isaiah chapter 38. Now, when Hezekiah got sick, he pleaded with the Lord and was given more time. In fact, we know exactly how much more time he was given. He was given 15 more years by the Lord. Hezekiah recovered, but he did not make good within that time, but rather was filled with pride, showing the kingdom off, implying his strength. 
he did confess. He did repent. He humbled himself and avoided a great judgment personally. I'm reminded of 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, which says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. If he does exalt you, if he does raise you up. Again, God is sovereign, right? We leave all that in his hands. Well, let's continue. Verse 27 says, And Hezekiah had very great riches and honor, and he made for himself treasuries for silver, for gold, for precious stones, for spices, for shields, and for all kinds of costly vessels, storehouses also for the yield of grain, wine, and oil, and stalls for all kinds of cattle and sheepfolds. He likewise provided cities for himself and flocks and herds in abundance, for God had given him very great possessions. The same Hezekiah closed up the upper outlet of the waters of Gion and directed them down to the west side of the city of David. And Hezekiah prospered in all his works. And, and so in the matter of the envoys of the princess of Babylon, who had been sent to him to inquire about the sign that had been done in the land, God left him to himself in order to test him and to know all that was in his heart. So God had given Hezekiah, very great possessions. Most of the time, Hezekiah used these riches very well for the glory of God. I said most of the time. I know that there is evidence that, that you know, we understand he didn't always um, handle these um, riches well. But for the most part, he did. Uh, Hezekiah's tunnel is still flowing with water today as it's described here. It spans more than 650 yards along the inside of the city walls, which they remember they had enclosed. But it, it, is, it is made, this channel it has, was made through solid rock. All the way from the spring to the pool of Siloam. An engineering feat only able to have been accomplished with the help of God. No other way. But even in all this. Verse 31 points to the wickedness in Hezekiah's heart. When visited by the princess of Babylon, these are ambassadors, he was filled with pride. He was personally uplifted. He was, it's just, this, this moment, this event is described as, as he was filled with pride. He was flattered. Oh, and he showed them everything in the kingdom. He was asked, what did you show him? What did you show him? Oh, I didn't keep anything from him. I wanted, I wanted to show everything off. Everything. And this response was not honoring to God. But Hezekiah was the one that received the glory. And what it did was, and this is, God left him to himself in order to test him and to know all that was in his heart. It revealed his heart. Careful. That's why I say don't let your don't let your guard down at any time. Be careful because your success tends to reveal your own heart. And God will leave you to yourself to test you. God does test you. He doesn't tempt you, but he does test you. that you may know what's really in your heart. 
if not mindful of the schemes of the enemy and the wickedness of your own heart, failure and weakness can embitter and anger a person. Just as much as success, position, and power can reveal unchecked personal pride and arrogance, and it can become self-dependence. Oh, I do this all. Oh, you want to see? Let me show you all that was accomplished. Come, let me show you. It was all because of the hard work that I have all of this. See what I have on my wall? All my hard work. See these toys and the houses and everything that I can provide for my kids? Yeah, that was me too. Remain humble. At all times, acknowledging God's faithfulness and how he gives and takes away. But always declare, blessed be the name of the Lord. He can do and will do whatever he pleases. Remember, naked we entered into the world, naked we will leave. There is nothing that we have that we have not been given. Our abilities are all gifts to us from the Lord. It's all that he may receive glory. Don't touch his glory. No matter what, don't touch his glory. Always give him glory. Verse 32. Now the rest of the acts of Hezekiah and his good deeds, behold, they are written in the vision of Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. And Hezekiah slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the upper part of the tombs of the sons of David. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem did him honor at his death, and Manasseh, his son, reigned in his place. Listen, 15 more years is what Hezekiah got. 15 more years. More time did not make things better for Hezekiah. Did not make Hezekiah better, in fact. He started better than he finished. Might have been better for him not to have the extra 15 years. Fifteen more years didn't make him any more godly. The only thing that matters with time is that we make the best use of the time that we've been entrusted with, no matter what it is. We are told in Scripture to redeem the time, whatever time we have been given. Time will heal. No, it won't. That's not biblical. Show me where, show me where it is time that heals. Time will tell. No, that's not biblical either. Time won't tell. The question is simple, simply this. Are you willing to trust God now? Because he is a very present help in time of trouble. He is also faithful. He is our refuge. He is the God of all comfort now and always will be. We just simply have to acknowledge that. You see, times of testing will reveal the heart. When you are attacked in your thoughts and with situations, are you willing to confess and repent when you fall short? Immediately. Immediately. Are you taking those thoughts captive? Are you being disciplined in your thoughts? Are you not discerning the schemes of the enemy? Do you not know that you will be tested? And how will you... Do when those tests do come. 
how will you respond? Or will those thoughts turn into uncontrolled and undisciplined acts that simply are used to undermine the very work that God desires to do in your life and in the life of others? We see that in Hezekiah. And I pray that we would be more discerning and grow in our understanding of who God is and how he desires for us to respond in those times. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. And I do ask, Father, that you would give us wisdom. You would also give us strength as we place our complete trust in you. That when we, when we are tested, oh Lord, we would stand. We would be immovable. Lord, we would, our stride would not break. We would continue to move forward and bless you and live for you. May we always give you the glory in all situations, whether we have or have not knowing that you are sovereign, you are good, and you allow things to happen for your own reasons. May we be okay with that. May we know that to live is Christ and to die is gain. Let us live for your glory with great hope and great purpose in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.